White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 762. I'm Brandon Marcello, and you're listening to the AU Wishbone. They're not going to keep them off the field tonight! The offense plays a good half of football, and the schedule gets more manageable. How did we not see this coming? He asked sarcastically. The AU Wishbone is next. You're listening to the AU Wishbone, almost credible sports discussion on the White Rocket Entertainment Network. Bye bye, Bo! From the palatial White Rocket Studios in Southern Illinois and Eastern Virginia, it's the AU Wishbone Podcast. John, how are you tonight? I'm well, Van. How are you? We won. We won. We won. We won an SEC game. It's been a while. Last time Auburn won an SEC game, we were there. <laughs> it's been so long. We were there. <laughs> we were. I am your host, Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined as always by my co-host. I'm John Ringer. So, John, what are you thinking? We uh, we got a we've got a victory in the SEC to talk. The the fact that that I'm this excited about a win over Mississippi State shows you how far in the depths we had fallen here for a little bit, but not unexpectedly. But also how much we needed a win. Yes. Yeah. And how much, you know, we say it every time: savor the wins, mm-hmm. enjoy them. Don't write it off and go, oh, it was just Mississippi State. We were supposed to win. No, no, no. If the losses bothered you, savor the wins and enjoy them. This is exactly right. And we did. We needed this one. And um, we needed uh, to, to break that slump. I heard some, one of the podcasters uh, or video guys call this game a slump buster. And that's probably Mississippi State is good for that. You know, they're good for that. in Because in, 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 uh, we've always said Mississippi State is really sort of the bellwether for how good of an Auburn season we're having, right? In our in our years that are good to great, we always beat Mississippi State with, I think we said three exceptions, 1997, 2000, and 2014. And in our seasons that are bad, those are usually the ones where we lose to, to Mississippi yep. State. So this if is- If we a, lose to them, we're probably not making a bowl. Right. This is not a, except for those three years, this is not a- Good season by any stretch of the imagination, other than with promise for the future. But beating Mississippi State certainly feels like we're turning things in the right direction. So, before we proceed any further, we have to jump on. Uh, 
It's the Auburn Fun Meter. This is our weekly look at how much fun we are having being an Auburn fan this week. And I'm genuinely curious where you're going to land this time because there's like the big picture and the little picture, but then there's the bigger picture. And then, you know what I mean? It, I think it's this is one of those that's going to depend on what your parameters are this week or this season or the ongoing rebuilding program, you know, where where are you looking is going to define how how high up you are. Man, I'm a simple man. <laughs> Sim- simple podcaster. <laughs> and winning SEC games is much better than losing them. Yes, it's Mississippi State. Yes, it was at home, but I think that helped. I think it was important for us to win in front of the home folks too. I'm going to say 8. Like I went, I remember I was like a two last week. Or oh, something. I know, I know that. I was right. way down there, and way so lower I'm not, than me. I'm not over the moon or anything, but I'm genuinely happy about winning this game. I felt it was coming. We talked about it last week. I was happy with the direction the offense was moving slowly in the mud, but moving last week. I felt the promise dawning, and I feel like they made some changes to to work things out even better this week, and. Uh, so yeah, I'm. I think I'm. I'll go along with that. I'll be an eight. That sounds fine. Um, it just again, being an eight this week is like very short term and very long term, but not very yes. middle term. I, I mean, for me, it is in the moment. It's yeah. that I'm living in the moment right now. I'm. I'm delighted that we won an SEC game, and there's some positive vibes and stuff. I'm yeah. happy for the kids. I'm happy for the fans. I'm, you know, uh, and then we'll get into the other parts that. So Mississippi State, 27 to 13 victory. And the first note I put down on the show notes is in all capital letters, I tried to tell y'all last week and we knew how the schedule laid out from the start. Meaning, again, short term and long term. In the short term, I felt like this was coming. And in the long term, when we looked at the schedule in July or August, right, on this program, we were talking about how there was that four-game stretch in the middle that we may very well go 0-4 no matter how well we're playing, but then we'll clearly have a chance to get things back. In fact, I remember specifically talking about what will the Auburn fan be like when we're 3-4. and four. I remember saying that, that we're going to be, there's a strong possibility that we'll be 3-0 and and then 3-4 and four, and then turn it around again. You could look at the schedule. It's not a mystery. Right? I wasn't clairvoyant or anything. You just look at the schedule. We had three winnable games, four more challenging games, three winnable games, and then one more challenging game. That's from the beginning how it's been. And our season now is, is beating two teams that are not as good as the one we just beat. But one of them, the, the harder one, is on the road, and we're going to be there. That's the challenge now. It is. I, I want to revisit this conversation we had last week and the conversation you're having right now about the schedule and where we are and stuff. Because I think it's, it's two things. One is you are 100% correct about having that conversation earlier and, and seeing the pattern of the schedule and us talking about it. But the other part is we didn't play the same way last week that we played on Saturday. You're right. We did not do the same things. We did not attempt to do the same things against Ole Miss that we did against Mississippi State. We fundamentally changed some things, Mm -hmm. and some of it was because of the nature of the opponent. We were scared of LSU's offense and Ole Miss's offense, 
And therefore, we played not to get blown out in those games. And we were not scared of Mississippi State's offense. Therefore, we could come out and be more aggressive. And we did. We were not willing to show that kind of aggression against Ole Miss or LSU. Um, I agree. And, and then also, I think they did, with a lot of the stuff that I was fussing about on last week, I think they changed. You referenced that. I think there was fundamental changes in what we were trying to do, and, the, and it did help. Well, let me ask your opinion on this, because this is what I felt all along, and actually seeing it play out on the first, in the first half on Saturday made me feel even more confident in it. As you said, they were playing not to lose against LSU and Ole Miss, and they were trying to be slower and use the clock more and all that. When you play slower, but but you still throw incomplete passes, so the clock stops anyway, and then you punt after three plays, how is that keeping the ball away from the other team's offense? Whereas if you come out and play faster like we did against Mississippi State and make first downs, you are keeping the ball away from the team. In other words, I felt like playing faster kept the ball away from the other team more than playing slower did because we're actually succeeding. Well, let's come back to this because this is a first half, second half conversation. Because mm. in the second half, they threw all that out the window. Oh, I know it, I know it. And um, that's and and then you're punting on your your one, two, yes. three punt again. Yes. Um, I I think you're right. I think it. I mean, if we are aggressive in the way that we were, we were getting more first downs. We were getting like nine and a half yards a play of first down yep. in the first half. Yep. And then we were moving down up and down the field and keeping our defense off the field. You're correct. Yeah, so doing some it's 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 counterintuitive, but it made sense. You do the thing that's successful, and it doesn't matter how fast you're going in terms of the clock, because you're not putting the defense back on the field. Even if you're going faster, you're still you're keeping the defense off the field, and you're scoring even better. You're scoring, win, 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 and then you win. <laughs> it's a win, 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 win. Um, I noticed, though, that the stadium was not quite in the same overcrowded frenzy as it was during the four games we lost, which was disappointing because I was really, really hoping that we could get that crowd one more time and they could see a win. And it looked I like think the, the crowd, crowd was pretty good. I think in the yeah. second half it wasn't great, but yeah, it, but it, I don't know that he was even sold out. Or well, it was probably technically sold out, but I don't know that it was full. And I just wish we could have had the Ole Miss and, and Georgia situation, though both of those were one-score games, you know, or, or close or whatever they were, you know. Um, it would have been nice to have that for a win. But, you know, it's Mississippi State in the afternoon after four straight losses. It's just going to be hard for anybody to – it's just a lot, of, a lot to ask, right? Sure, yes. And then we, and unfortunately, see if we had another good home game after this, I feel like they might be back because they've seen well, a win again, now. I, I think I'm going to say this authoritatively. You know, if we play okay in these next two games, yeah, the crowd for Alabama will be peak. Yeah, it'll be there. I hope so. It will. And, be. and again, I, 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 don't, I guarantee it. And I don't know if it'll matter in the long run because I don't know that no, we can score. No, but uh, but the crowd will be there, and it'll yeah. be yeah. They'll bless their hearts. Pitch. God bless them. So, what? Well, I don't want to jump ahead too far, but you told me something about the uh, the capacity at Vanderbilt right now. Is that serious? We're, like we're saving school. that. Saving yes. that. All right. I just because I'm not going to that. I was gonna go right. I've gone to all the Vanderbilt away games since I moved up here, which I think has been like three. 
And uh, I was really looking forward to this one, but then it ended up being, I you know, personal stuff, can't go. And, and it's right before going to Arkansas. Yeah, right, yeah. so that's fine. I mean, I, sorry, Torchy's Arkansas. No. Yeah, our big Torchy's trip. <laughs> I think there's a football game we might stop by on the way to Torchy's a couple of times. Oh, I can't wait. Um, yeah, we've got stuff to say about that too. But uh, yeah, so what did you think about the quarterback situation? There's been a lot of ink spilled, a lot of, a lot of pixels pixelated over that. But uh, what did you think? I mean, the, the biggest thing was uh, yeah, they went into the game saying, oh, we're going to give them both a chance. And then Thorne well, came out and played well. <laughs> and there was like, nope. Mm-mm. Robbie played two plays. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was it. And I, so I want to take a minute and give Free some credit. Because I, because of what we talked about last week, mm-hmm. where he was calling the Robbie plays, and mm-hmm. that you know the the lieutenant was calling the, yeah. the Thorn <laughs> plays, I did not think that Freeze could let go of the Robbie package that easily, and would force the insert of Robbie in where it wasn't working. But once the offense was clicking, they didn't force it. They mm-hmm. let it go with Robbie and just let it flow, and I think that was absolutely the right call. And I want to give him some credit for doing for making that and and not, uh, you know, making it about oh I've got this great setup or plan for Robbie. I think if Robbie had like busted loose on an eighty yard run or something, they'd have found more times to use him. But his two plays he was in were not super great this week. Though let's be fair, he's had some really good plays, you know, this year. There's no doubt. Um, I hope he's okay with that. I hate it for him. It's it's got to suck for him. But um, but no, I mean for the good of the team, you kind of have to pick somebody and let them have momentum, let them have consistency. You know, I've I've never been super. I've never been pro either one of them, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean I'm for whoever can get it done. I didn't like the way they were doing it, but I appreciated that they were trying to keep them both involved and 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 have neither one of them like give up and quit. I appreciated that, but it was not working. No, 100% no. And I think I don't, it seemed like almost they gave Thorne the big vote of confidence right before he went out there and said, we're not yanking you, go out there and play your game. Because not only did he have his best passing game of the season, but Van, he had six incomplete passes. Three of those were intentional throwaways where the receiver was covered. He has not done that at all this season. Remember how many times he held the ball and looked and looked and looked. He threw the ball away three times. That was awesome. That was progress. That's exactly what we wanted from him. And so because of the three throwaways, he had three throwaways and then one drop where he hit the guy in the chest. His actual uh, accuracy percentage was 91%. It was the best passing game an Auburn quarterback has had since Stidham against Alabama in 2017. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. So, uh, And that includes Bo Nix. Mm-hmm. So more accuracy over the course of a game than any Bo Nix game. That's pretty tough. It's pretty good. Well, and for whatever reason, the receivers were having a good day. That's something we don't say very often. No, I think, I, again, I think they they had a good plan. They, again, some of them are going to get some credit. Mississippi State secondary is not great. But they had a good plan. They executed. The receivers made plays and caught the ball and made things happen when they got it, right? Um, yeah. But also I think Thorne Thorn was on target getting them the ball in the right place at the right time in the right space. I thought the the pass 
in the you know like a couple of his passes were really good. The touchdown pass to Cobb was just beautiful. Where he kind of lobbed it over. Oh, uh, that was fantastic. I couldn't believe yes. it. Well, it's night and day what Thorne can do when he has time. Mm-hmm. And he actually had time this game. This was I mean, they they did the same thing against Texas A&M, which was tell him we're not going to yank you. We'll, you know, we're going to do some packages with Robbie, but you're still the man. You're going to go out there and be the guy. And and he was getting killed. He was and, just getting and, killed every play. And this and we did not give up a sack in this game. It's That's the first game in a year, I think, where Mississippi yeah. State did not have a sack. Yeah. And we started a true freshman at center. Connor Lou started at center mm-hmm. for Avery Jones, and we still did, and they rotated a couple other guys, and we still didn't give up sacks. So I, I want to give them a bunch of credit, and I want to give the running backs credit, too. They were excellent at pass block, and I said it during the game. Jarquez, especially, was really doing a great job picking up the blitz. He saved Robbie a couple times. Um and so I, not only did Jarquez have a great game running, but he was really good in the pass protection too. And I think all of those things contributed to Thorne feeling comfortable and making it happen. I wanted to note a couple of things. We got Damari Austin back. He didn't really get to do mm-hmm. a whole lot. He was, yep. but he at least he got to get out there and bang around a little bit and play. And I was reading where they rotated a lot of the offensive linemen that that. Yep. Freeze was saying, I want all these guys to play, and I don't want any of them worn out and, and too tired to go by the end of the season because it's a long season. And I thought that was interesting because it seems like it seems like all of our previous coaches, going back as long as I can remember, wanted to find like five guys on the offensive line and never rotate them, right? The, the defensive line, we've always historically rotated guys every play just about. But the offensive line, it seems like we don't usually rotate very much, but they were apparently shuffling guys all around out there on purpose. They were, they were, they they played seven guys a lot of snaps. I think a couple of the guys, the starters, are a little banged up, and so yeah. you're right, they want to rest them and and get them good for the home stretch. But also, I think the other part is, I think you know, some years we had five good guys and then a bunch of question mm-hmm. marks, and now yeah. I think we have seven or eight guys that can play in the SEC Yeah, and have and are, yeah, and they're doing it right. So. Yeah, so uh, it was interesting. Um, let's see. All right, I don't want to get ahead of you then. So what what else do we need to talk about before we break down anything else from the offense or the defense or whatever? Um, what we the, cat, the Cadillac speech apparently was good. Some people more inspired than others, it seems like. Again, I think the t- but the team was in the right, clearly in the right headspace to come out and start an SEC game, yes. and I want to give him credit for that. And here's what was interesting to me is that we came out, and it seems like every other game this year, we've come out and gotten sacked on the first drive. We've had penalties on the first drive. We've snapped the ball over the quarterback's head on the first drive. We were running around, you know, the instead of War Eagle, they're playing, da, 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 you know. And on this drive, we came out on the first drive and looked like a well-oiled machine. They did everything just perfectly. I, it, I, I didn't know what – I thought we'd switched out teams or something. I, It just – they they now it they was, had a drive. It was in the, a little bit shocking. They they had a drive in the second half that looked more like our first drives, where we fumble the snap and you know run around like a chicken with a head cut off. But in the first half, they they didn't look like the same team. It was really really remarkable. All right, so let's let's talk about that difference for a minute. In the second half, Auburn was ahead. We had yes. no fear of Mississippi State. Now the reason for that was because was their starting quarterback and starting running back were out. 
we remember the starting quarterback because of what happened two years ago. Yeah. If he had been playing for Mississippi State, we would not have played that way in the second half offensively. We couldn't we have afforded to. We would have been to. scared. Yeah, we mm-hmm. couldn't have afforded. We couldn't have afforded to. That's right. They would have. They would have come back on us. So we w- we could not have pulled out the super conservative, you know, Tubervillian or whatever whatever word you want to use to describe that offense, where we basically. I mean, again, I I did. I at the time I was very unhappy about how we played in the second half. I thought we were playing good offensively in the first half, and then we just kind of crawled into a shell and, and played win the game mode. Park but, the bus, as they say in soccer. We parked the bus yes, in front of our we goal. We parked the bus like right after halftime. But <laughs> a the goal was to win the game, and we did. And the only way they were going to come back and beat us is if we turned it over like at our own twenty. And we had one. The, and Freeze was right. We had the ball once in the third quarter. Yeah, and then in the fourth quarter we had the ball like three times inside our own fifteen yard line, mm-hmm. and if we make a mistake down there, then that's how they come back and win. That's how they get us back in back get them back in the game. That's right, and then then we're on this podcast yelling about what idiots they are for taking chances with the lead in this right. game. So that's true. I don't want to. I'm you know very serious about not being hypocritical about this thing. I was upset about it at the time on Saturday, but I think it was the right decision even if it was painful to watch. I think if we'd been out on the 30, 40, 50 yard line, we could have done a little bit more, but yes. they had a good punting second half. They didn't yeah. score a lot and they didn't move they the ball a the lot. They controlled the field position game and and, yes. call, and put us in bad spaces and then we we you're right, we couldn't. If we had been in midfield a little bit more, I think we could have been more aggressive. They, they did enough things to put themselves in position. I mean, give Mississippi State credit. They did enough things in the second half to put themselves in position that they could come back. They didn't do enough things to come back, but they did enough things that they were in position. In other words, they, they backed us up, made us play conservative, kept it on our end of the field, uh, played pretty good defense. They changed up their run defense. They slowed us down. They did they, enough. They, were, they sold that against the run. You're right. Yeah. They were like, hey. Yeah. They did enough things that if we hadn't been on our own five yard line every play, seemingly, we could have done. We'd have done some more stuff, maybe. But and this that was what's driving me crazy. We had back to back drives in the second half where we started on like our five and got nine yards and it was fourth and one yes both drives in a row it was like fourth and one and both times i was screaming punt the ball don't do anything because you know you're 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 getting fourth and one and you're like come on we can get this one i'm like no 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 what happened last week no yeah exactly no 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 no. we don't get cute don't get super aggressive because the other part is it goes back to the fundamental strategy of the game. We weren't scared of their offense without their starting quarterback and running back. We felt like our defense could hold them down. Therefore, don't take any chances. We got to lead. Let the defense hold them. And the defense. Let's transition. Talk about the defense. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got to ask you this because we're talking about going. the punters. <clears throat> Did you hear them say eleven SEC teams have Australian punters? That's I did not hear that, but I'm not shocked by it. Eleven. And that's just SEC. They're everywhere. Just SEC. I'm like, if it's that many, what's wrong with the other three teams? <laughs> at, at at like seven or eight, I'm going. Why have you got so many Australian punters? And at eleven, I'm like, why don't why doesn't everybody have one? Because clearly, they they must be vastly superior. It's because they play that weird Australian, Australian rules, rules football. football and you, that's, 
you kick it a lot. It requires a lot of running and kicking on the run. Yes. So they're good at that kind of running and, and kicking on the run thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like rugby, but with more drop kicking type, punting type stuff going I, I, on. I could say I have some direct familiar experience with Australian rules football right now. Oh, is that um, so? I've seen I've seen a good bit. So, yes. They is uh, a lot of running and kicking. Uh, Doesn't make a dang bit of sense. No. It's baffling. Yes. That's a good word for it. I like that. Yes. It is. It is. Um, I guess the only way it makes sense is after five or six Fosters. <laughs> yeah, even then. Get your blooming onion and your Fosters, and suddenly it all makes sense, John. You just don't care about the rules not making sense. <laughs> I think if, they, if the referees drink enough Fosters before the game, they just signal what, you know, they run around, run around, punt the ball at the two posts, and the referees are like, and that, what, what does that mean? You get some points, sure. How many would you like? Five? Five points at five. Take five points. That's good, boys. <laughs> that's, that's the rules right there. You didn't know this has been the Australian Rules Football. Okay. <laughs> there you go. All right. This has, been, this has been Australian Football Rules Minute with Van and John. Um, all right. So the defense. I want to give Ron Roberts and the defense a lot of credit. They've been really good this year. Uh, you know, yes. kind of bend, bend, but don't break, right? But they have made plays when they needed to. Do you know that we lead the SEC in turnovers created? Well, I, I know that we have the we lead the country in consecutive games with turnovers created, yes. fourteen. So. To which we have to give a little, you know, a grudging little bit of credit to Potato because no, they they started it back then. No, we. Don't. Um, <laughs> I, I thought the, the run defense was really good in this game. Again, they were going to try and run the ball. They were running quarterback. We did not let them go crazy. We kept control of the line of scrimmage a lot, made plays. And then having Keontae Scott back last week and this week is huge. He is making plays all over the place. He's making yes. stuff happen. Oh, he was great. He's a, he's a difference maker. Mm-hmm. And then um, you know, our guy Jalen Simpson brought in the, the plankton mentality. Bain, are you familiar with plankton mentality? I'm, I'm, I like the sound of it. I like the feel of the term, but I really have no idea what he's talking about. All right. I'm going to explain plankton mentality to you and our listeners for those who are Oh, here we go. Brace yourself. Jalen Simpson, obviously number 36, our, you know, our great uh, safety defensive back who's made a lot of plays this year, brought this up in a press conference a week ago. And, and basically, this is how it works. On, there's a TV show, SpongeBob SquarePants, which I'm sure many of you have not watched. And on that show, the villain is a guy called Plankton. And all he thinks about all the time, every episode, no matter what else that's happening, is getting the secret recipe for the Krabby Patties from the, his rival fast food establishment. That's all he wants all the time is that secret recipe. And Jalen Simpson said, we need to be like him. He has singular focus on this one thing, <laughs> getting the secret recipe, and that's the plankton mentality. we got to have focus wow. on the one thing we need to do all the time, and that's plankton mentality. So that's I don't know if you've cool. seen it tonight, but Auburn football actually tweeted out a video with SpongeBob SquarePants clips in it talking about plankton and the secret recipe with Jalen Simpson and, and highlights from this week's game, and it's really funny. I, I'm not a big seafood guy, so I've, I missed on that. But that did. Speaking about, I appreciate you explaining that. By the way, don't let me. I don't want to. I don't want to just roll right past that <laughs> profound moment in AU Wishbone and Auburn football history. 
But that said, did you see the the new basketball video? Oh, I did. That was awesome. So good. Very excited about basketball. John, after so many years of talking about the Sweat Boys, they got their own video, and it was worth all the years of wait to see them. The guys that mop up the sweat and the water and the spills and stuff. They got their own video. If you haven't seen that, folks, get a find. It's on. I know it was on Instagram because that's where my wife saw it. Uh, it's on Twitter it and YouTube yeah. and everywhere else. Get out there, there and see go. the Auburn basketball video. It's very good. It's yeah. It's the it's the guys that bring the water and the guys that mop up the spills and stuff and and they're training for the season. It's pretty good. Um, the last thing I want to say is on the special team side, my level of trust in Evan McPherson <sighs> is about a nine and a half. Like I literally like I. When he's out there, I'm like, yeah, we're we're good. Has he missed a field goal this year? I don't believe so. I mean, I don't I don't remember him missing. He's just been automatic. I well, he, he just continues that long run of kickers that we've had that are just so good. He is eight for eight. Yeah, there it is, eight for eight. He hadn't gotten a ton of opportunities, but he's he hadn't missed. He missed one last year. Okay, wow, he's missed one field goal in his Auburn career. Yeah, he was six for seven last year and eight for eight this year. Well, he didn't. He only kicked at the end, right? When uh, bookstore yeah. got hurt. Is it wrong for me to say? And I don't mean this in a, in a bad way or an insulting way at all. Just a purely evaluation overall. In the last, gosh knows how many years of Auburn kickers, is it fair to say that Anders Carlson was like the weakest of all of them? I, I think the injuries held him back. I think early in his career, he was really good. He did get hurt. He did, yeah. But I mean, so overall, I, I feel I, like his career I was, think the, he, was he, the least. I think he gets, it's, you're comparing him to his brother, right? No, I I'm mean, comparing uh, him to everybody going all the way back to like Vaughn. <laughs> I can't remember a kicker we've had that, and yet he got drafted right, in the I, NFL. He's, he's like one of the few that actually got drafted on draft day to the NFL, and I feel like he's the, the, the least successful kicker we've had in the last 25 years, 30 years. Co- Cody Parkey in 11 was, was 13 for 18. Okay. Now, I don't know how, again, I don't know how many of those were like 60 yarders. Yeah, Oh, Gus had sent him right. out there, sent them all out there. He's you like, know. ah, you're fine. Take a Get shot. A shot. And then Carl, Daniel's freshman year, he was 18 for 24. All right. But again, Man, I have to go back and look at how many of those. So, well, Daniel Carlson got so many chances because he was on those Gus teams that were terrible in the red zone. Oh my! God. Oh yeah, two thousand dig 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 two thousand sixteen. No, no. Guess how many field goals we attempted in thirteen games? Guess that sixteen team. They were good when they had the big running back, but otherwise they were pretty mediocre, right? They attempted. 32 field goals wow. in 13 games. Wow. He made 28. Yeah. yeah, That's insane. That's, that is. That's why he's our leading scorer, right, all time. I mean, he was the SEC's leading scorer until, like, recently. Yeah. I think he just got passed. Yeah. He's a COVID year. Yes, exactly. That's not fair. That's not fair at all. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, but, yeah, McPherson's been doing great. I'm glad to have him. All right. I have a lot of faith in him and our punter, Australian punter, both. Yep. Um, Vanderbilt, 3 o'clock Central. We're back on the SEC network, um, which I would make fun of, except that it's really ESPN, so you can't really. It's not like the Pac-12 network or anything. So we do seem to have settled into a groove there because we're going to be 3 o'clock on the SEC network for Arkansas, too, aren't we? That's it. Three weeks in a row, basically. We found our spot, yeah. 
So that's good. So Vanderbilt. Now, here's the thing. Vanderbilt in Auburn, we usually kill them. There have been a time or two, but usually over the years, that game is usually more like 45 to 6 or something when it's in Auburn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Vanderbilt at Nashville in their little stadium is competitive, bordering on insanely frustrating because I've been to – I was at the 08 game where we lost because we missed an extra point and we lost 14 to 13 and I was pulling my hair out. Ugh. There was the game before that. You remember the Tuberville one where we uh where they did what was it? Either they caught a touchdown that was clearly not a catch or we had a touchdown that was called a not a catch or there was some just egregious referee decision. It's the one where Woody Woodenhofer did the fake field goal and we blew it up that would have won the game or whatever. There was we barely won it. It was one it was in that streak where Duvall was hitting a winning field goal at the end of every game. It was one yep. of those. Yep. In 1993, undefeated Auburn in 1993 came closer to losing at Vanderbilt than any other game that year. We had to do a goal line stand against their big power back to keep them from beating us. In other words, we struggle more often than not, in Vanderbilt, at Vanderbilt. And we and, owe them. Oh, but we do because they have a – I don't think – I think we have the lifetime advantage now, but we haven't for long, and it's really close because they used to be – this is weird. John, I'm going to tell you three teams that used to be really, really good. I mean, like way back even before our time, right? Back in the olden days, as my older daughter would say, right? Way back in the olden days, here are three teams that used to be powerhouses, okay? Vanderbilt, Georgia Tech, Sewanee. I'm I'm very aware of Georgia Tech and Sewanee. Would you like to guess – what the current all-time record Auburn against Vanderbilt is. I'm, I don't know the number, but I'm going to think that we're ahead by like one or two. It's 21-21 and one tie. Wow. It's dead even. So and this we, is the rubber we, match. That's it. We won the last time we played in 2016. That's the one where we were – yeah, the 2016 game. I can't believe that was the last time we played them. The 2016 game – is the one where it, that can't be the last time we played them. I'm, okay, this is what I get for looking on the internet. Keep going. Well, the 2016 no, one we is play, the keep going. The 2016 is the one where our big running back, whose name I can never remember anymore, he was the guy that was on the team with um, Carry On, Carry On, and. Petway. Petway. The they were never healthy at the same time. That was the problem, right? If we had the two, but the two of them healthy at the same time, we were been you know SEC championship game. But Petway was having a dominating game. He was he'd run for like three hundred yards against them. He was destroying them, and then he got hurt. Remember that? He got hurt on a long. He was like busting out on like an eighty yard run, and he was it was just him in the end zone, and he all of a sudden hitched up, and they caught up to him and tackled him. Because he couldn't move anymore. He didn't score the touchdown. And then we ended up like turning the ball over. And I think that's the one where they blocked a field goal because their linebacker jumped over our entire line. Remember that? Their linebacker, uh, Jamie, what's his name? He was great in that game. He was so good. He jumped over us, yes. 
So no, we that was the last time we played. Yeah. And uh, before that, the the two games before that were both in Nashville, 2012, and 2008. And we lost both of those. Yeah. We lost in 2012, 17 to 13. At 2008, we lost 14, 14 to, 13. to 13. I was at the 2008 <laughs> game. Yes, that was the one where Mira was like three months old, and she was sitting in my lap. And I'd gotten a pizza, and the sun was right over. There's no deck or anything, right? So the sun was right over the stadium. And I sat there with a pizza box shielding her from the sun the entire second half because she'd have gotten cooked. But um, This relates to one of the important points for this game. Yes, the stadium. Their stadium is under construction. Currently. If you are currently under construction, if you're going to this game, be prepared. It is going to be a mess. The... Scoreboards will be held up by cranes in the end zone. If you haven't seen this in another SEC game, it is something. And because of the – now, again, but coming into this year, they were the only SEC school with no seats, no, like, luxury seats, no chairbacks uh, seats, and no box seats, basically, other wow. than the press box announcers. Holy cow. And so they're redoing it. They're adding a bunch of stuff. But currently – the capacity is tiny. The mm. announced um, capacity for the stadium this is, is 28,500. 28,500. We, we call that one of our decks. <laughs> I was going to say, we call that the, like the student section. Yes. Um, the, it is the, uh, uh, Scott Scroggins online said is the smallest stadium Auburn will play in front of since playing Georgia in Columbus in 1958. <laughs> hey, and as we know from researching, that's one of those games where they had like barbed wire fencing around the field so that the fans couldn't run out on the field during the game. We that's one of the things we found in the in the in our new book. Yes, that's so good. They started with ropes and ropes wouldn't hold them back, so they switched to chain link and barbed wire <laughs> fence. That's so good. That's insane. I mean, yeah, their stadium wasn't much to begin with, but now it's like ripped apart. In fact, you know, in between plays, you're going to, instead of cowbells, you'll hear bang, 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 bang. You know what you're going to hear between plays is War Eagle, man. It's going to yes. be like 15,000 Auburn fans. Oh, that, when I was there in, in those two years, when I was there in 08, I feel, I see, I thought that I was there since then. Um, I may have been there in 12, but when I was there in 08 for sure, I remember the whole stadium was orange. It was amazing. Didn't help didn't help because we had a crappy team that year but uh, we only played them up there when it, when we had a really bad team that's the problem so yeah here we are again it's just weird 21 21 and one so dead even but again they used to be really good the, most of those 21 came from like way back in the day i mean like 1910s 1920s you know back in those days they were good in 1940s they were really good and we were really bad 1940s and early 50s yeah yeah they won like eight in a row then. that was also the last time clemson had beaten us until 2011 that same period man I got to tell you, though, and I didn't know that there was a documentary on this. I'm really disappointed because I had like I was thinking if I ever was going to do a book on college football that was not about Auburn, I had found the topic. I was going to present it to you and see what you thought. The Six Day War. Suwanee in like 19 whatever. Suwanee went on the road and played six road games. Yeah, they, no, they played five road games in six days. 
the six-day war. They played five road games in six days against legit competition. I mean, legit teams, and they won. And they swept off. They shut out all five. It's pretty good. The only team that even scored against them that season, your Auburn Tigers, still lost, but 11-10. to 10. They outscored opponents like 200 and something to 10 that year. But, I mean, that stretch, five wins, five shutout wins in six days, that is, I don't care what era you're playing in. It's impressive. They're called the Iron Men, the Sewanee Iron Men for that. But I just thought, what a great name that would be, the Six Day War. And then somebody said, oh, yeah, I saw that documentary on PBS. And I'm like, son of a. <laughs> Curse you, PBS. Yes, jumping our claim there. All right. So you will Back not be to- seeing that book after all, but that would have been a heck of a book to write, though, man. The Six Day War. All right. Mm. Back to this has been the PBS Minute. Not as good Back- as The Road to Jungle <laughs> City. That was the other title we didn't get to use that was so good. We're saving that one. Um, Vanderbilt is at Van. I have a news flash for you. Vanderbilt <laughs> is not good. <laughs> no, they're not. No. Not good at football right now. Better on um, offense than Mississippi State, I'm afraid, but no good on defense. No bueno on defense. I, I get marginal. I okay. watched a lot of that old Miss Vanderbilt game tonight. The starting yep. quarterback for Vanderbilt did not play. The backup is this guy, Seals, Sears. He was, you know, terrible. Okay. And they replaced him with this other guy, younger guy, who's a big, tall running quarterback, and he didn't do a whole bunch either. Okay. So I their offense is not particularly scary. There's no skill position guys. You're like, oh, you gotta, you know, like a running back or receiver they've had over some years where you're like, oh, you gotta stop this one guy. Uh, defensively, they're the worst defense in the SEC, especially against the pass, and they're bad against the run. Um, Giving up, a, you know, a couple hundred yards to Georgia and Ole Miss, uh, we we can go in there and move the ball on this team. The big thing for me is it's not about them; it's about us. Yeah. Okay. We have played three road games so far, and in those three road games, we have been terrible on offense yes we have so we seem to have found something last week can we come out and be competent on offense against this team with lesser opponents or is our road offensive you know uh problems gonna gonna hop out for us that's the thing i i to me that's what this game comes down to is can we carry the mississippi state momentum in there and be and and present that same offense again or are we going to get in there and start schmutzing around that's a technical football term. Exactly. No, that was very good. Yeah, and I, I keep thinking, well, they got a bad defense, but LSU didn't have a great defense, and we didn't do too well against I, them. So they're, we've got they're to... way worse than LSU. Okay. I mean, I, everybody's averaging five to six yards of play against them, even like UNLV at Wake Forest. So, well, to me, the main takeaway is: Do we want to be the only SEC team they beat this year? That's right. I say no. Call Rather me crazy. Not. Call me crazy, but I do not want to be the only the only SEC team they beat this year. The big thing is on on their offense, they can't run the ball well. Against S in SEC competition, they're really struggling to run the ball. So I think you know, we don't have to fear that and they don't have any kind of burner wide receivers. So you know, with the quarterbacks that are playing right now, you could kind of line up and play man to man on their receivers and bring some extra guys up against the the run and not be scared. And, and I think it, we could kind of play the same solid defense we've been playing. We don't have to take a bunch of chances, but we can also get pressure on them. I feel like we can send some guys occasionally, get in the backfield, make stuff happen. So I'm 
I feel pretty good about our defense holding their offense down. We just got to go in there and, and and make some things happen on our on our offensive side of the ball. But I think we can by coming out and running the ball. I think Jarquez yeah. really coming on the last two games is the answer. And mm-hmm. I think we don't have to start the ball ball game firing on all cylinders passing. I think Jarquez can come out and can and carry the offense at the beginning and then Thorne can get comfortable. Looking at our running backs, I'm so glad Jarquez seems to be kind of picking it up because he's the he's the bell cow, as they say, and we need him to be to lead the way. I'm glad to have Damari back. We'll see how he comes along. I can't imagine going out there and playing the way you have to play as an SEC running back with a separated shoulder. That just blows my mind. I would be like, well, football was nice. Now off to accounting, you know. <laughs> and uh, and Cobb, he he's in like he's in for like one play and catches this amazing touchdown. That's got to help him a little bit, right? I mean, I guess they've been mm-hmm. saving him up for the stretch run here. And, and again, he has some. He has, he has some roles and some packages. He's kind of the running back that's you know, split out a lot or the second back in the slot and that kind of things, but it's working. So, Didn't see a lot of Batty. No. I, 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 I don't know if he's banged up or if they're just, and or if part of it is that they feel Jarquez coming on and they're increasing his carries and it's the expense of Batty. So. Yeah. Well, Cobb was almost was down to nothing. I don't think Cobb got a carry as a running back. He just caught that no, pass. No, he he literally only played one snap in the game and it was that touchdown pass. That's catch. crazy. <laughs> so, our running backs continue to be a mystery. An, an evolving enigmatic I, thing. I, I think Jarquez was clearly either rusty or injured yeah. and shook it off and now he's getting back to what we hoped he would be. That is correct. For whatever reason, he is back to being him, and that's in the nick of time as well, hopefully. I, I, the other part is I think he just, I mean, let's be clear, we played the two Mississippi schools, and it's personal for him in those games. So, yeah. um, I, But I think he's hitting his, hitting his groove and hitting his stride, and I think he can come out in this game and kind of and have that same, a similar result. So, yeah, I hope he gets 200 yards against Vanderbilt. I think he could. Mm-hmm. The only thing that would hold him back is how many carries he gets and how much passing we do because and how much we spread the carries around a little bit. Yep. We didn't do a lot of the plays. Here's the thing. We did a lot more of the, like, I don't want to call it a screen, but where the quarterback throws the ball out wide to the receiver, horizontal, you know. We did more of those than we did the f- running back flare into that area, which is the Batty thing. Yeah. No, it's fair. It's a different kind. And you're right. It, we do, it's a more of an out pattern kind of thing and less of the, the T dump off flare out kind yeah. of thing. That said, I was excited that we ran so many that the Thorne had somewhere to go with the ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seemed like this was the first game where he had multiple outlets and ways to get rid of the ball so he wouldn't get sacked. And he didn't. Against mm-hmm. A&M, the goal seemed to be you know, stand there for five minutes and survey the field and throw a 60-yard pass or get sacked and get crushed. And I hate that. That's like my least – That's I hate that more than any other thing in football. I just can't stand it. It's just so pointless. It's like swinging for a home run or striking out instead of being creative and generating runs. You know what I mean? I like, I like find ways to generate offense. Don't just – it's all or nothing, you know. I hate it. All right, anything else about Vanderbilt in that rickety little – Mousetrap Stadium that they're going to be adding on to with hammers and the, and the welding torches as we're playing. I want to go back to the what you talked about about the previous Auburn visits. Don't beat ourselves. It's it's about us and our execution. If we go up there and we have 
penalties and turnovers and poor execution, it's going to be a ball game and it's going to be really unpleasant. If we don't do that stuff, if we play clean and we go out there and just, you know, play, play our game and, and our defense go in and kind of sit on them, we'll be fine. All right, so Vanderbilt coming up Saturday, and then the next Saturday is Arkansas, which we'll talk about obviously next week. But that's the that's our road trip game for this year. You and I will rendezvous in northern part of Fayetteville for that one on Friday, and we should be awesome. And I want to say this: if you are a listener and you have suggestions for things to see or do in Arkansas, uh, in Fayetteville, let us <laughs> when know. You did. Other than torchies, because not going to miss that. No. As I said, I've I've gotten to go to Torchy's one time in my life, and that was at Texas A&M. I drove through their parking lot in Memphis, and there was literally nowhere to park in the entire parking lot. And I had to go and somewhere, eat somewhere else, and I was so mad. So this is my second chance ever. Apparently, I only get Torchy's when John is present, but that's okay. That'll work. So we got to talk very briefly about the new book. We have a brand new book. We put up an announcement video about it where we explain it in depth and everything. But let me go ahead and direct you to it. You can find all the information at www.auwishbone.com. It's like at the top of the page now after the usual stuff. You go to w, you go to www.auwishbone.com and right below like how to listen to the podcast and everything and the, and the Patreon thing, right below that is the book. It's called First Time Ever. It's got a real long subtitle, but the subtitle is basically like how Auburn first brought undefeated Alabama to Jordan-Hare Stadium and beat them. And it will not be in stores or on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or whatever until well into 2024. But you can get copies in paperback and or hardcover now. You can get copies now by supporting our Patreon, which if you're listening to this on Tuesday morning, on Halloween morning, right, which most people will be, if you're listening to this on Halloween morning, at that point, you have 12 days left before the, the before it runs out. We're doing what's called a Kickstarter campaign. Not everybody's familiar with this, right? A Kickstarter campaign, usually reserved for, for indie comics and stuff, but I figured, and I've run, I've run several, ran one for Jared for his, for his comic. What I like about it, it lets you get pre-orders and get the word out and build up a campaign and, and let people know and, and let them jump in. And then we ship them all out at once when the campaign ends. So basically, in uh, 12 days from Halloween, uh, the campaign will end. Uh, we will mail out signed copies to everybody that supported the campaign. Basically, you support the campaign and you choose what you want as your reward. And that could be a paperback, a hardcover, or a, or a package, a bundle, including the, the new book and one of our previous books. It's all on the webpage. You just click on the one you like. And everybody gets a signed copy of everything. And um, then the book goes back on the shelf until next year when it goes out to Amazon and everything. So we just wanted to do this Kickstarter now so people that wanted to get it for Christmas for, for themselves or to give for presents could get signed copies direct from John and me before it's ever actually on sale. Pretty neat little deal, I thought. And um, A limited time offer. Yes, 12 around. days. Don't mess around. This is it. And I mean, because after this, it wouldn't get to you before Christmas anyway, probably. Because uh, we have to order them, sign them, and then send them out to you. Um, that's why it's a little more expensive than it would be normally if you bought on Amazon or something. Is because we're having to ship it to ourselves, sign it, and then turn around and ship it back out to you again. 
Um, the uh, the book is basically about the 1989 Iron Bowl. Uh, we've talked about this before. The first third of the book is the background of the Iron Bowl, the background of Auburn, Alabama having animosity towards each other, the background of Alabama doing stuff that made us mad, okay? Uh, the middle third of the book is how we got the game to Auburn with Pat Dye and David Housel and all that. And the last third of the book is pretty much the game itself and then reactions from the players, the fans, the coaches, and then modern-day memories from Auburn fans that wrote in to us. And I was still adding a little anecdote that we received from somebody from one of our patrons this afternoon so the book is it's done but i'm still finding ways to squeeze even more in plus because the book hit our goal and is still going there's like you have to set a goal on kickstarter that you're aiming for we hit that goal in the first 12 hours (laughs) it's amazing and so everybody that, that was awesome. Thank that you. Was incredible. That was yeah, incredible. Tw- yeah, exactly. Um, so Jared did a, a portrait of Pat Dye basically lecturing Bill Curry in, the, in, in Jordan Hare, which is really cool. That picture goes in the book. Everybody gets a bonus picture in the book. And Jared's going to do prints of that picture and sign them. And everybody that gets a book also gets a signed print from Jared, which is really, really cool. So uh, also his original is up on the Kickstarter. If you want to buy his original piece of artwork, uh, it's at the bottom of the rewards. Uh, you can go in there and buy the actual original piece. You can take a look at it and everything. Okay, so that's the book. Go to www.auwishbone.com. That's the only way to get it until 2024. Um, if you are a patron and you have not gotten my messages, I'm trying to put every patron's name in the book, just like we did our last two books, but I know there are some patrons who have very funny and very entertaining names, which is great. I don't want you to change that. But if you want a different actual name in the book, you need to let me know. I've heard from probably a dozen people in the last 24 hours, but there's still, I think, eight or nine people that I have like highlighted in the manuscript as this may not be the name they want in the book, you know. So if you're somebody you who has a name, f- is it Jones Barbecue and Focus? Exactly. Right. If 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 your name in the book is something like Jones Barbecue and Foot Massage, then you made that. That may be what you want in the book. I don't know, but just let me know. You know, just let me know. Uh, otherwise, that's what's going to be in there. Uh, so just let me know. Um, let me see. Let me see. Uh, okay. Uh, the let me get the Patreons out of the way. And then we have a few other things to do. But here are, John, the fine folks currently. We, we've still got to talk about the, uh, the, uh, the, the, we got the worst coaches in the world coming up. We got the college football pick'em coming up. We got fantasy Formula One coming up. We got listener questions coming up. We got around the SEC coming up. We got a lot left to do here. But first, here are a quick run through the fine folks keeping the program going. They went to www.auwishbone.com and clicked on the big orange button to become a patron. They include Samuel Salvatore, Carl Von Drunker, Chris and Clinton Stewart, Dr. Crackham, Logan Chilton presenting the Broadway musical Nashville in November coming soon to... Joe's Barbecue Foot Massage! There it is. Uh, Ann Pridgen, Bill Weathers, Bradley Blackman, David WDE Salmons Esquire, Eric Morgan, Gary Grant, a.k.a. AU Fan at KSC. Um, if Carol Shelby would have seen Deion Sanders on Saturday, he would have said... I don't speak Italian, but he ain't happy. <laughs> I didn't realize Deion spoke Italian. That's interesting. Um, 
Matt Flowers, Michael Kirshner, Phil Amthor, of course, always reminds us. No! No! No, I'm devastated! I'm devastated and they're celebrating right in front of me! This is the worst! This is the worst! No! Oh, it's so good. I love watching John's interpretive performance every week of that, too. Uh, Richard Stevens, Steve Trawick, Susan Trawick, Trombone Tiger, Willie Carden. Win Carroll's thoughts the second he saw Auburn was only a 13.5 point favorite uh, this weekend is. Oh, <laughs> this is a good one. I have to. Yeah. There will come a payday. Hallelujah. What a payday. <laughs> there will come a payday someday. Someday. There will come a payday, hallelujah, what a payday. There will come a payday someday. That's good, I like that. Uh, that's got to be from the, uh, the oh crap, I had it. That show on HBO. The one where we have our famous just two little Righteous young kids. Gemstones? Yeah, the kids running around misbehaving. We used to do that one all the time on here, and I don't even know where it became of it. It's not on here anymore. It's not on the soundboard it's a anymore. Soundboard mystery. It is. It's there. There are. Alex, have too much soundboard. Just need to cut back. <sighs> we got two pages of it now. It's crazy. I can't keep track of it all. Like I said, <laughs> out of control. It is out of control. Alex Brown, Ben Bloodworth, Bleeds Orange and Blue. Boris says, bring back Guess the Game. Oh, Boris says that, does he? Interesting. Well, I have a feeling that Boris Albrick might want us to. <laughs> I don't know about Boris the Tiger, but Boris Albrick might want us to. Yes. Yeah, we'll see. It's coming back, just not immediately. Calibrating my fun meter in the back booth of... Joe's Barbecue Foot Massage! That's right. Chad McDowell, Chris Hilton, celebrating the end of Auburn's potato famine. Are we going to get better at celebrating? Yeah, we do now. I hope so. I hope so. Chris Thrash, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, Earl Ricks, Bobby... Um, Frosty! That's right. Harry Zagger, H-Town Danny... I got thrown out of the local park after I arranged the squirrels by height. They don't like me criticizing. Oh, hey. There you go. I ordered a chicken and egg from Amazon. I'll let you know, says 76 Tiger Esquire, sleazy shyster for... Joe's Barbecue Foot Massage. That's right. Jacob and Robin Fleming, Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Lane Middleton, Mickey B. No one fights like Gaston. Algorithm and Blues, Paul Miles, Rich Reimer, Rusty Owens, Steve Harlan. Got to swallow. Theodore Geary, Todd Robinson. It takes it out of me to go through this whole list every week. Warhammer 6. W.D. Richie says, Michigan stole my soundboard choice. Did you see Albie's sign? That was good. Yep. Michigan stole my sign. Weagle Weagle. That's Boris's little buddy. Uh, Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, Wilson Beard, Winston Body, Auburn Blue, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger. What? Uh, Brandon Smith, Carter Glouse, Colby Butler. Boris was very excited by the way the by the way the game came out. He, uh, of course, he doesn't understand why we were excited and overall because he thinks we win every week. But uh, he kind of lives in his own little world. Corey Smyer, David D, David Simpson, Dibama at Jones Barbecue Foot Massage. It's so popular on the among the patrons. Josh Teal, just wait till next year. Kevin Mahan, I think you're getting a sense of why I'm asking people to please send me in the name they want in the book. Luther and Kelly Ottaway, Mandy Thompson, Melissa Blackstone. Uh, oh, we're using our made-up names for the book. Then I'm Spider-Man. <laughs> I'm going to put that in there. 
<laughs> I'm going to put that in there if you don't tell me differently, man. Papa Todd, Patrick Williams, and our one-time and anonymous donors. <laughs> oh, Patrick did re uh, message me and said, just use Patrick Williams. The, the, uh, the one-time anonymous donors can fend for themselves. I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> John's laughing. That's great. So good. That is. Uh, pausing the sleaze jokes out of respect for the season, but just know I'm still <laughs> thinking it. I love that every week. Uh, Philip Martin, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Russell Milling, Sarah Hines, Sasquatch, Shane Bailey, Shannon Butson, Stephen Houston, Tim Pittman, Timothy, Tony Perry, Weagle87, Woody the Jag, at the Mad Reaper Pepper Company on Instagram. I got to put me some Mad Reaper Pepper on sauce on my uh, next meal. I haven't had some in a while. Alex Nguyen, A you falling up, Ben Amos, Ben Regis, Brian Albanese, Charles Mooney, and finally, Chris Como, Chris Braun, Clay Henson, Construction Tiger, Daniel Barnett, Darren Pyle, Elizabeth Donald. We uh, we gotta get better at celebrating. I'll buy this for a dollar. James Taylor, Jim McCrory, John Otsuki, Joey Miller, JT Jarhead, Justin Bean, Kenneth Britt Rain says the barbecue. You have failed me for the last time. AKA Auburnette for life. Mark Squire, MVP, captivating Kathy Bright. You don't have any friends. That was me last Nobody week. Nobody likes you. Last <laughs> week, Kathy. Oh, by the way, I got to appear on Kathy's podcast. Uh, a couple of days ago, she and Jared do a Sherlock Holmes with the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes. And I got to go in and talk about uh, the six Napoleons and the sign of four. That was a lot of fun. I appreciated nice. them asking me. Yeah, she runs it and it's awesome. She does a great job. It's really cool. Um, although she did say that she didn't realize she had forgotten that the sign of four is like a whole novel. So she got up that morning to read that little short story. And saw that it's like 170 pages long, and she's like, "Ah, I don't blame her. I'd have freaked out too if I if I'd realized that in, in that moment." Uh, my favorite button on the remote is pause. I am Tiger. Please clap. Uh, New York Tiger says this is the end for the doors. Auburn will break on through. War Eagle, break on through to the other side. Sorry, I don't have it with me, but there you go. You get your live live concert. Nick Craig, Paul Bankson, Rich Hammett, Royce Alvarez, Russell Souther, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Spanky. I'm at the bottom of this list because. Scott Wilson. Monkey boy. Sports Illustrated's Auburn Elvis, Stephen Thompson, Steve Bailey, the Slinko family, Tim Sauls, Trevor Johnson. When is your when is your book first time ever freeze won an SEC game coming out? Well, it's it can come out now, can it? Van, time to get back to work. <laughs> Do a whole commemorative edition on just that one Mississippi State game. <sighs> Ten chapters, nine on the first half and one on the second half. I was going to say, might not, not be able to find the same level of detail we did for other books. No. Brant Rumble, plus our one-time anonymous donors, we thank you all. Go to www.auwishbone.com. All right, let's check in on the Pick'em, the college football SEC Pick'em. How's it looking right now, John? Do you have access to it this week? I do. I'm ready. Yep. Our man Frosty. Up, up, up. Who's in first place? Frosty! Frosty now tied for first with Bill Miner and Fun Meter Calibration. Wow. Followed closely by Josh Corbett uh, and uh, 96 Pile AUs, uh, one one game back of them. So they're, they're, the top group is at 66 correct uh, picks. 
Mm-hmm. And Van and I are tied at 61, hot on their heels, and we're coming for you. We're coming, man. We're running out of games, but I, and I, I, I blew it. I lost a, I gave up a point this week, so that I should have had. I messed up. So, but yeah, you and I are in the top 20, but those guys are dominating up there. So good for them. Um, it's impressive. Let's see a quick glance at the fantasy Formula One league. I'm very excited about this because Scuderia Toro Plexico has moved from second place. We just we got a little DRS and got out in the straightaway, and we passed Teamy McTeam face for first place. So first place currently with, like, what, three races to go? Brazil and Vegas and Middle East, yeah. Scuderia Toro Plexico has 5,279 points. Teamy McTeam face has 5,269. So I'm just 10 points ahead. Oh, Tiger Transit's in third, Mississippi Racing in fourth, Sir Bacon the first, Cheeky Nando's, Albi Mobile, Scuderia Aguila Guerra, Solitaire, and Smokescreen 45. Man, I'm just going to enjoy being in first place for as long as it lasts because I feel like it's probably not going to last very long. Uh, like, let's see. What have we not covered here? Um, Guess the game is on hiatus during the season. Oh, the wow. You know what that means, John? Coming up in the AU Wishbone, we will be doing listener questions and around the SEC. But first, it is our weekly look at the miscreants, ne'er-do-wells, and knuckleheads that collectively compromise and comprise... The worst coaches in the world. Finally got the timing down on that. It's pretty cool, huh? The bronze this week. Kyle Whittingham of Utah. Everyone thought the Utes were the real deal, John. But Bo Nix went in there and put them through the shredder in their own stadium, 35-6. I don't often disagree with the worst coach in the world. Kyle Whittingham is awesome. He was not awesome on Saturday. I, I would think it's I, Utah is great. Utah is going to win the Pac-12 and go to the playoff. It's going to happen. I mean, Oregon yet, is going to. I'm bad at backwards. Oregon is going to win the Pac-12 and go to the playoff. It's going to happen. That'd be awesome. The silver, Lincoln Riley of USC, formerly talked about as national champion contenders. Let Cal, Cal. Let me repeat that again. Cal, a team that Auburn beat when we were doing nothing on offense, score 49 points. How about looking into defense, Lincoln? If the other Lincoln, if Abraham Lincoln had run defense like that, Robert E. Lee would have been sitting in the middle of the White House smoking a cigar. He'd have been in New Jersey. Oh, my gosh. But the gold, the gold this week goes to Dabo Swinney just because it's fun to give Dabo Swinney the gold medal in something terrible he's gone from nick saban's heir apparent to quote the clemson administration has some tough decisions to make pretty soon that's an actual quote i saw on twitter from a clemson fan the the clemson administration has some tough decisions to make soon they don't they lost to nc state a team that we have recently acknowledged does actually exist and they proved it 
Clemson was actually down 24 to 7 in the fourth quarter of this game and scored 10 just to keep it respectable. I'm fine with this one. Dabo does not take transfers. The bottom part of his roster is like his buddy's kids and stuff. So instead of transfer <laughs> players who could actually help them win ACC games. So he was great when they had a week, two elite quarterbacks. Without those, he doesn't yep. look so smart. That's it. Dabo Swinney of Clemson, you are this week's worst coach in the world. There you go, John. All right, everybody's favorite new segment, and by that I mean in my favorite new segment, so y'all just have to deal with it. And now we always do this awkward transition. Thank you. Order questions to the Prime Minister. It's time for listener questions. Dun, 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 on the AU Wishbone Podcast. All right, what do we got in the mailbag this week? People celebrating joyously and saying how right I was. Like, right, let's hear it. I edited those out. The first email is from Preston Settle, who says, uh, John Evan, I have a question about Boris the Tiger. Uh Uh-oh. He says, War Eagle Eagle always. Yep. Where did you come up with the name Boris for Boris the Tiger? Is Ah. Boris of Slavic descent? Ah, yes. That's a great, great question. It was that I acquired Boris, as far as he knows, he thinks he was acquired from from the jungle, but actually a grocery store in Auburn about 2001, 2002, right around in there. And I remember saying, what I really want is a little tiger I can carry around in my car, take to games, you know, kind of like people put them up on their RV dashboard and stuff. I wanted a tiger like that. And I was in like Kroger or something in Auburn or maybe like a Dollar General or something. I don't know. It was just a store, some store in Auburn way back 20 years ago. And I picked him up and I said, yeah, I want a tiger kind of like this, but I never find one like this. I'm like, wait a minute, this is one right here. And I bought him. And then I got him home and one of my friends looked at him and said, oh, well, look at all the fluff around his neck. That's a Siberian co- uh, tiger. And I'm like, it is? Because I was not that big of an expert on tigers. I know, like, tiger offenses. I don't really know tiger, like, genetic stuff. And so uh, they said, yeah, that's a Siberian tiger. You should name him Boris. And I'm like, oh, that sounds good. Okay. So, yeah, he's named Boris because he's a Siberian tiger, and that seemed, like, appropriate for, like, that kind of part of the world. But he's all American, and he's all Auburn. We just, my wife and I decided that Boris is basically like if you distilled Aubie down to just a little blob. He's got that same vibe. Essence you know, of Aubie is he that He's got that same kind of always optimistic, always thinks Auburn is the best, can't contemplate a world where we're not undefeated every year kind of. That's the kind of vibe that he has, yes. That's his whole shtick is that we never lose, we're always great, and he can't conceive of anything else. And now he's got his little buddy Weagle to help him out, so that's cool. Good. Right. Appreciate the question. Next question is from Samus Salvatore. It says, hello, guys at War Eagle. From the stadium view this past weekend, the, that was a great game to watch. The Military Appreciation Halftime Show was outstanding. Yeah. Got to see the band make a tank into a submarine. Just an <laughs> awesome experience. He said, uh, the question for us is, did Philip steal back the playbook after halftime from Freeze? <laughs> Yeah, not so much. Okay, he, I said last week he got demoted to lieutenant. I'm gonna we're gonna with that offensive performance in the first half, he's he's like he's a captain again. But that's yeah. we're not we're not anywhere near field grade rank yet. <laughs> that's right, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like we said, I think it's just uh, 
they felt like in the second half it was a, I think it was a combination of we changed some things and Mississippi State changed some things. But uh, I, I, but also I think we weren't scared of their offense and we were not the we knew that if we took chances that was their best chance to win. Really, the, the scenario for them winning was us going ninety four LSU. We weren't yes. going to do that. Yeah, Jamie Howard on there, but yeah, you know we didn't talk about it. How big was that two minute drive in the second in the fir- at the end of the first it was, half? It was very big. Mm-hmm. And it's a, really the it's the first time we really done that, and they executed it perfectly. They went right down the field, managed the time well, mm-hmm. and scored. It was a big drive. You're right. Yeah, that I mean, because that gave us the cushion that we could to be able to play this way. You're correct. Right. If it had been 17 to 10 or something, I don't think we could have. You know, because they they spent the whole third and half of the fourth quarter threatening when they weren't scoring, threatening to score. And if it had been closer and they were doing that, I'd have been a lot more. I was nervous anyway, but I'd have been a lot more nervous if it was like a one-score game and they were threatening to go to overtime or something. Agree. But And I don't think it was a freeze or Montgomery thing. I think it was a, the coaching staff came together and said, you know, the defense could hold them down. We just got to not be stupid here. Yeah. All right, next question is from Bill Miner. He says, guys, I had to look it up, but I realized that Auburn's longest current – Losing duration in years, not number of games, playing at another SEC school stadium is actually Vanderbilt since we last won there Mm. in 2003. He says since then we've won at Georgia, Alabama, Florida, and LSU. Well, now, to be fair, we we haven't played there that often, but we have done terrible when we have. It's always our worst teams that play there. We've lost there at 2012 and 2008-2012. Yeah. When we had two of our worst teams during that span. Yes. I know it's not fair since we don't play there every other year, but it's still incredible to me. Is there an absolutely befuddling statistic that Auburn football has that it's always been weird in your mind, can no longer be the case, or one that's ongoing? I mean, the Vanderbilt record is number one to me. It's, it's, it's incredible. Well, the thing about uh, Clemson that I mentioned, too, where we hadn't lost to them until 2011, going all the way back to, like, 1952 is mind-blowing. But did, did do you remember the significance of that 03 Vanderbilt win? What did we – that was the third game of the year. What was significant on offense about us in that game? That was the – well, that was the first game that we – no, that was the first game that year that we won. It was the first game Wasn't we it? won and first game we scored a touchdown in. Oh, yeah. We we got we got shut down by USC at home, and then we got beat by Georgia Tech mm-hmm. in we, yes in Atlanta. In Atlanta. A couple of field goals. I was at that game. God help us. And then we went to Vanderbilt and we won. And I believe it was um, it was our receiver that was the son of one of our. I can't think of his name now. It was the son of a. It was a legacy player that receiver that uh, that caught the pass and went down the field and scored the touchdown, but I can't think of his name. He was never like one of our top players, but he was good, and he was his dad played for McIntyre. Jairus McIntyre. Yeah, Cedric's son, Jairus, yeah. He's he a good player. Yeah, he scored. He was the, That was the first touchdown we scored. It took us three games. Because you remember we were supposed to do the uh, Jim Fife salute, touchdown Auburn, and it took us three games, and it was away. Oh, gosh. I, I'm, I'm going to think about Bill's questions more if there's a, a stat yeah. or a record that really shocks me. I mean, the, the other one is just the lack of receiving success and the lack of 1,000-yard receiving That's seasons amazing. that Auburn's had. That's amazing. It, compared to other schools at college football, it's a little bit 
crazy. What was the thing about our receivers where it was Frank Sanders in in eighty in ninety four that was the last what All American or something? I think so. Yeah, that's incredible. All the receivers that we've had. All right. Um, and the last emails from Josh Corbett who says uh, some thoughts about the Mississippi State game, John Van. War Eagle, and I hope you're both doing well. I'll be headed to Nashville on Friday for the game. I hope Van was going to be at this one at the beginning yeah. of the year, but it'll be fine, and eventually I'll meet y'all one day. Now, on to the Mississippi State game. I think Freeze was more involved with the game plan and calling plays in this one. At one point in the third quarter, Freeze could be seen jumping up and down to get Thorne's attention to check out of a play. The no- I noticed something. They noticed something, and he handed it off to Hunter for an eight-yard gain. I also think leaving Ashford on the bench helped Thorne relax and not press as much. Thorne seemed to give his wide receivers a chance in this game and take the one-on-one shots. I hope this is a sign of things to come. My question to y'all this week is, do you think if we play like this the remainder of the season, we could possibly finish 7-5? and five? We could finish 7-5 and five and possibly upset Bam and Jordan Hare. War Eagle, and thanks for all you do, Josh Gordon. I think that seven and five, yeah, I mean, all that's on the table, but I just want to reiterate, like I did on Twitter on Saturday, that Auburn fans, we do have a tendency, we'll play one bad game and, oh, this team's going to have a losing record, fire everybody. Then we play one good game. It's like, oh, we're going to beat Bama. We're going to a big bowl. And then we play a bad game. We're like, oh, fire everybody. We suck. And we we're as roller coastery as our team is, you know what I mean? Historically. So let's just I don't know what you're talking about. Let's just all take a pill. Let's all chill out. Let's beat Vanderbilt and then we'll see from there. How about that? But I I you know, who knows? I, I do want to say I appreciate that you're taking the big picture rational approach to this stuff. So. All right. All right, that's it. All right. I guess we're time to hop in the Albi Mobile for one last segment here. Well, A&M pretty much crushed Carolina and uh, wasn't even close. What's happened to South Carolina? Again, the offensive line is terrible. That's number yeah. one. And their defense was good enough last year, but it's not good. But I think the, they've lost a few you know, key players on the offensive line at some skill positions, and they don't have the same offense they had last year when it was really dangerous then the year. Again, we know Texas A&M's defensive line is great, and they just ate them up. He had no time at all. Yeah. We know all about that. Yeah. Over the years, some of our worst offensive performances have come when A&M's defensive front was manhandling our offensive line, and that's not the first time that's happened, yeah. Uh, Georgia pretty much opened up a can on Florida. I think it was 7 to nothing Florida, and then they went on a 43-13 to run. So Georgia without that tight end is still really good. Well, but I think it's interesting. They needed that tight end early in the season. The quarterback kind of leaned on him. Carson yes. Beck, but now the tight end Bowers is out, and Beck's kind of grown into the role, and he tore Florida up. So, yeah. uh, let's see. Um, we know about our game. Tennessee got past Kentucky, thirty-three twenty-seven. Same question. I, I was saying all week, Kentucky is a program to me that everybody talks up and talks up and talks up, and then every time they get on the big stage, it seems like they fall on their face. They end up with what? you know a number of good wins, but they never win the big one hardly, except Florida. They have a high, ce- a high floor and a, and a 
you know, not super high ceiling, right? Yeah, yeah. They're gonna they're gonna win between six and nine games, basically six and ten games every year. Yeah, and that's where they are. They're never gonna be terrible. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I don't think they've won less than seven games recently. They're they're always gonna be competent, but the style they play is kind of a you know pretty vanilla style on offensive yeah. defense. So when they play the super talented teams, the Georgias, Alabamas, or whoever, they're going to get kicked. But yeah. when the rest of the East is down, as it has been, mm-hmm. it gives them an opportunity because they're stable to just be standing there. Basically, their ceiling is Auburn with Gus. No, I don't think their ceiling is that high. I mean, I, we went to the national title game. Yeah, well, that's true. With After the big that, bowl games, that they're right. not ever doing that. So You're true. And that's in the East that they are, and they're not doing that. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, and then Ole Miss beat Vanderbilt thirty-three to seven. I mean, kind of—I didn't even watch this game. I, if I'd thought about it in terms of scouting ahead, I might have, but you, I just didn't get excited. I was gonna say I couldn't get excited about knowing that Ole Miss was gonna kill them, and they did. So um, I am curious to see how we match up with them, though. But uh, but I do feel like the best team bef- that we after we played Ole Miss, the strongest team after. Alabama left on our schedule we already beat Mississippi State so we'll see about Arkansas we don't know what to expect because they've changed offensive coordinators but we will get one we'll get a good look at them next week this weekend yeah we're gonna talk about that game in a minute yeah all right well coming up on Saturday Texas A&M at Ole Miss at 11 o'clock in the morning in the famous you know Jefferson pilot and I never know I moved everything around here and I can't find (laughs) anything anymore Oh, here it is. Yeah, the, the Texas A&M and Ole Miss are playing in the... The 11 a.m. Jefferson Pilot time slot of death. Ah! Um, added a little screen there. So that one has the potential to me to be the best game of the day, possibly. It's going to be, again, LSU and Alabama are playing at night, but this is going to be exciting. It's going to be competitive. Um yeah, A&M's defensive line, can they shut down that Ole Miss offense? And it's, but it's in Oxford, too. Um, A&M's got good receivers. Can they, can they score points? I think it's going to be a, a good game. I'm, yeah. I'm excited to see what happens. I want to see what Texas A&M's defensive front can do to Jackson Dart, and I want to see what A&M's receivers can do to that Ole Miss defense because this is two teams that beat us. One of them beat us a little more soundly than the other, but, the, but, but they were playing at home, and Ole Miss was on the road. So. Uh, UConn, forget about it at Tennessee. That ain't going to happen. Arkansas at Florida at eleven o'clock on ESPN two. That's a fun one. Arkansas, we get to get that scouting report on off Arkansas's offensive strategy and and an interesting kind of matchup of two teams that have disappointed their fan base but are still dangerous. They're wounded animals. Yeah, and Florida desperate coming off and of, you know get stomped by Georgia. Arkansas. Had a bye week, fired their offensive coordinator, real disappointing season. <laughs> so I, I'm very curious to see what do they look like on offense. What do they? I'm I'm concerned about a little bit of kind of Auburn last year. They mm. kind of throw some stuff out and go to something that works better for them, and their offense kind of clicks down the stretch. Yeah, because they they you know, they have a good quarterback. They they have a good running back. He's been hurt. Rocket Sanders hasn't played much. If they if those two guys are healthy and right, they could be more dangerous than they've shown. They're like two race cars about the drag race, and they both have three tires, and they're on fire, <laughs> and the driver's all banged up, fluid leaking. fluids leaking everywhere. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It's a blazing pig against a wounded gator, and that's just nobody wants to see that. Um, 
Jacksonville State at South Carolina. That could actually be interesting the way things have been going. I don't know. That's a lot of that's a lot of eleven a.m. slash noon games there. Yeah, I was gonna say four SEC games simultaneous. That's uh, out of the eight. There's eight SEC games, and half of them are at eleven o'clock in the morning. So what the heck, man? Missouri at Georgia at two thirty CBS. That could be fun too. This is a, this is a very intriguing I- Saturday. I'm I'm very interested. Again, I I think Missouri's the second best team in the East. They have a really good offense. Georgia's coming off that Florida game they're really focused mm-hmm. on. Now it's tough. If it was at Missouri, I would might feel differently. I don't think they can go in there and win, but I think they can make it entertaining. Well, we did. We made it entertaining, but that That's was right. in Auburn. But yeah, we'll see. Yeah. And remember, Missouri's a team gave them a hard time last year. That's right. So I, I think it's going to be a good game. I'm, I'm the same, excited to watch. The, the same Missouri that couldn't give the game to us away fast enough oh. turned around and, and almost beat Georgia. Uh, we'll see. We're at Vanderbilt at 3 o'clock Central on the SEC Network. Kentucky at Mississippi State. Ooh, that's not something I want to spend any time. <laughs> I don't have to, and so I'm not going to. I'm just going to ignore that game. Well, if there's a court order or something. Oh, there. Lord. Um, and then LSU at Alabama at 645 Central, 745 Eastern on CBS. And, I mean, can LSU hang in that game? We know they can score. Yes, they can. It's strength against strength, offense against Alabama's defense. And Alabama's offense against LSU's defense, it could be kind of it that could be fifty to forty nine, that could be six to three. It could. I I think both teams are gonna score a little bit. It's gonna be in the twenties. I think yeah. I think Ole Miss's offense is good enough to go in there and, and make LSU. It a game. I think LSU's offense is good enough to go in there and make it a game. I think Daniels is a good enough quarterback. The receiver is good enough to go in there and cause Alabama some real problems. Yep. Should be should be fun. So there's not a slam dunk to me on that list, but there's several very tasty, tasty meals there. Yeah, I'm looking right. forward to looking forward to it. If I'm not out doing something else, I'm I'll have to record them and catch them later if I do. All right, so you have us a non-conference game of the week. The non-conference game of the week is Kansas State at Texas. It's noon Eastern on Fox. Texas quarterback Quinn Ewers is banged up and may not play, so they'll be playing backup. And Kansas State is really good this year. They're dangerous team running the ball uh they, i think this is gonna they're gonna give texas all they want that's good yeah that's um well i mean kansas just beat oklahoma that's right that was a great game and again yeah a game we recommended on this podcast last that's week, correct and that was um uh jonathan wallace and company that's and right. the and his wife and the whole uh katero clan and the little youngin and all of them they were all out there having a good time it looked like and that was Looked like a miserable weather and the stuff, but the students threw the goalpost in the lake. That was awesome. <laughs> I gotta go back and check that out. Oh, uh, listen, <laughs> I was so happy for Kansas fans. Is Van, you talk yeah. about people storming the field and people are like, there's too much of that college football. They had not beaten Oklahoma since 1997. Wow. And they had not beaten a top 10 team at home since 1984. Wow. They could storm the field and throw the goalposts in the lake all they want to after that. They they so Kansas last beat a top ten team and then ran home to watch Bo wrong the run the wrong way against Alabama. I was gonna say they beat a top ten team in the first term of the Reagan administration. So. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, darn it. All right. I think that's gonna do it. We've uh we've managed to get through 
the last week and the coming week, and uh, I'm excited. I'm, I'm this. This is good. I, I think we can if we can win another game, get some momentum going out to Arkansas. We're gonna have a good time on our trip. I'm ready. Bring it All on. All right, let's do it. Let's bring it on. All right, our time is up. We thank you for yours. War Eagle, John. Bring it, man. Thanks for listening to the AU Wishbone. Find links to everything we do at www.auwishbone.com. For more Auburn fun, join us on Twitter at auwishbone and at facebook.com slash auwishbone. War Eagle. The AU Wishbone is produced by Van Allen Plexico and John Ringer. Copyright 2020. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production. Thank you for listening to the AU Wishbone Podcast.